This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking to researcher Abdullah Hawez. He is Kurdish, he's from Kurdistan. He knows what he's talking about here. I rate his work very, very highly. And today we're going to be speaking about the tensions between PKK Kurdish militants and the KDP ruling Kurdish party in Iraqi Kurdistan and the possibility that both of these parties might soon be going to war. We'll be talking about how the KDP is allied with Turkey and how the PKK obviously is fighting against Turkey. It's all very, very complicated but very interesting. If you like what we're doing here at Popular Front, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popular front. I think before we get into this kind of intra-Kurdish conflict that might be bubbling up, um, let's just lay out for a lot of people that won't know, what is the difference between the KDP that are running, you know, autonomous Iraqi Kurdistan and PKK militants who are fighting for a very different autonomous Kurdistan. Just explain that for us briefly, if you can. Uh, All right. So um, KDP is one of the oldest Kurdish parties. Uh, They are mostly concentrated in Iraq. Um, Their worldview is more tribal. They are conservative and... um, also, they claim to be nationalist. Uh, I mean, they are actually, in a way, the continuation of um, this all Kurdish ideology, which is more conservative, tribal, and somehow nationalist, which has been there for uh, a couple hundred years, actually. It, it, um, uh, it, yeah. So the PKK, on the other hand, was emerged uh, in Turkey. Uh, they were, the founders of PKK were a group of intellectuals who were living in Ankara. Some of, their, some of them were Kurds, others were Turks, but uh, they were all leftist intellectuals. Uh, so they, their in- background is much more, let's say, intellectual compared to um, KDP. And the people who founded uh, PKK, you know, envisioned this revolutionary movement not only to establish uh, an autonomy in uh, parts of Kurdistan in Turkey, but they also wanted to radically change uh, the socio-cultural norms in, in Kurdistan. Right, and right now KDP, and there's a lot of um, abbreviations here, but the KDP P party and the PUK party both control the autonomous region of Iraqi Kurdistan now, right? Bashur and the PKK have been mostly fighting in southeast Turkey, North Kurdistan, and they're also their bases in Iraqi Kurdistan and Kandil. Like it gets a little bit complicated with that. Maybe just explain the kind of current day situation a bit. So we have in Iraqi Kurdistan, we have two uh, main factions. One is KDP, which is uh, led by Barzani family. They are mostly concentrated in um, northwest Iraqi Kurdistan. They control the entire uh, Iraqi border with And then on the other hand, you have PUK, uh, which is led by another family, is, which is Talabani family. 
and they are mostly concentrated in southeast Iraqi Kurdistan, and their zone is mostly bordering Iran. So these two factions used to be one, actually. So the PUK was part of KDP, but they split, um, and they were a group of intellectuals who kind of also envisioned to have a more progressive uh, movement. They were against the tribalism and conservatism of KDP, so they split in the 70s. Um, after 1991 and after the US, UK, and France and others imposed a no-fly zone in Iraqi Kurdistan, which led to the creation of uh, Kurdistan region, uh, these two factions used to run the region together, but then from 2014 onward, uh, uh, they had a civil war which led to a permanent split of the region into two zones, which, as we explained, part of it is controlled by KDP and part of it uh, controlled by PUK. And then you have PKK, which controls or de facto controls some areas of North Iraqi Kurdistan, especially areas close to the border with Turkey and some areas close to the border with Iran. So now the Turkish uh, military is having a military operation against PKK in these areas throughout the border. And just to make it um, uh, clear as well, so PKK also have close relationship with the uh, Syrian Kurds who are running uh, Rojava or Northeast Syria these days. So they're close to uh, SDF. They're also close to some of the uh, Yazidis who are uh, on the ground in uh, Sinjar these days. Half the leading commanders in the YPG are like hardened PKK, right? Like long-time fighters. Uh, yes. The thing with uh, SDF, or, I mean, SDF is the bigger umbrella group that also um, consists of Arabs and others. But the main component, which is YPG, is uh, their Kurds, Syrian Kurds. But they also have, yeah, a lot of uh, PKK members uh, among them. I mean, to be honest, it's really difficult to distinguish between YPG fighters and PKK fighters among the YPG yeah. because um, historically Syrian Kurds have played a significant role within PKK. And, and uh, some estimates are saying one third of the total manpower of PKK used to be um, Syrian Kurds. So it's really difficult to, to distinguish between who is PKK, who is not you know, uh, within YPG. Right. Um, and again, just to go back a little bit into the history, how is it that the PKK came to have their base, if you like, their HQ in Kandil, in, you know, what is Iraqi Kurdistan? All right. So there's one thing I think many people are not aware of, is that without understanding the historical context of this conflict, it may, not, it may not be easy to understand why PKK is defending its presence in this area these days. Mm. So PKK, the interesting thing that many people don't know is that the very first attack 
that PKK conducted against Turkey was through crossing the border from Iraq to Turkey. So their very first attack was conducted through uh, crossing the border from Iraq to Turkey. So at that time, around 1983, PKK, a group of PKK uh, fighters led by one of their legendary fighters, which many of uh, PKK um, members these days uh, remember fondly is uh, Masum Korkmaz. Mm -hmm. That was the guy who came to Iraqi Kurdistan. He actually started building a base after talking with KDP at the time. So there was uh, some sort of cooperation between KDP and PKK at the time for uh, PKK to establish some sort of uh, base. But because at the time PKK was very new, nobody knew what was the group, it was much easier. And also because they were Kurds, KDP was Kurds, they were also fighting against Saddam at the time. There was much, it was much easier for them to get along because you know, there were not a lot of economic and other interests um, at stake. So um, at the time, PKK built um, a, a small base across the border from Turkey and Iraq, and they started conducting cross-border operations from there. But even at that time, interestingly, um, a few days ago, I was reading this article about the, the uh, knots that this PKK commander has left. Even at that time, they had plans to start building other bases away from KDP so that KDP wouldn't know much about it because even at that time, they didn't really trust KDP. Mm. But this is how it started. It started with, uh, in cooperation with KDP. They had small, a small base because at that time, they were training in a uh, much bigger training camp in, uh, in uh, Lebanon, which at the time was controlled by Syrian regime. So this is how it started at the, at the very beginning. But then um, in the late 80s, early 90s, as the situation was changing for, um, um, for P the PKK and there was, you know, growing pressure on Assad to, um, you know, uh, to close the PKK camps in, in uh, Lebanon, uh, more PKK were moved to Iraqi Kurdistan. Especially this movement was, um, became quicker after the uh, no-fly zone was imposed in Iraqi Kurdistan and after uh, basically the creation of Kurdistan region. Um, so PKK knew the importance of having you know, these bases there because they have a history. I mean, Turkish Kurds have a history of um, revolutions are fighting against the Turkish state inside Turkey. But the problem is if they stuck or if they are only concentrated inside the Turkish territory, it's really difficult for them to survive. Before that, we had few Kurdish movements who tried to impose or establish some sort of uh, Kurdish autonomy in these areas in the 30s, 40s, but none of them succeeded because 
they were inside Turkey and given Turkish uh, the strength of the Turkish military, it's really difficult to survive if you don't have um, uh, bases elsewhere where it is much more difficult for the Turkish uh, army to to attack you or to um, let's say uh, destroy your um, capabilities. Right, and and Kandil was kind of perfect um, in the geography as well, right? It like spans over from Turkey into um, northern Iraq, into the Kurdish areas. Areas. There's various different mountain ranges around there that are connected to it, right? Yes, the thing about Kandil is that it's part of a, a much bigger uh, uh, Zagros Mountains. So Zagros Mountains is all the way from southeast Turkey to northern Iraq to eastern uh, north uh, western Iran, so it's it's a very tough uh, range of mountains and it's really difficult to control it. So it's kind of as you said, it's it's perfect for uh, guerrilla warfare. So for them, I think it's 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 uh, uh, at the very beginning they realized uh, this is some sort of a perfect. Um, place geography wise for them to to sustain their uh, insurgency against Turkey and to yeah to continue um, their uh, insurgency. Right. So the PKK basically made themselves a base in Kandil. We know that they thrived there for a while, but then the KDP and the PKK began to fall out. When did that happen, and and what was that all about? Before the creation of Kurdistan region, actually, when the no-fly zone was imposed, you know, there was an operation called uh, Operation Comfort. Um, I don't actually exactly remember the name. Um, Resolve Comfort, I think that was the name. Mm-hmm. So at that time, part of this operation with, was Turkey. So Turkey has been in this from the very beginning. So... Turkey accepted the creation of this no-fly zone and, let's say, uh, Kurdistan region in return of fighting the PKK because P- Turkey has fought the PKK in, inside Iraqi Kurdistan much earlier. Even uh, in the 80s, in 87 and 88, they tried to um, conduct a cross-border operation inside Iraqi Kurdistan and at the time, they had an agreement with Saddam to uh, cross the border as much as um, uh, 30 kilometers. So this whole thing has been there for even before the creation of Kurdistan region. But after the creation of Kurdistan region, things became more complicated because KDP, which was controlling the border with Turkey has agreed to cooperate with Turkey against PKK. And in 1992, one year after the coalition forces imposed a no-fly zone, KDP actually not only cooperated, but actively fought alongside the Turkish army against uh, PKK. There are well-established documents about this. And according to some estimates, as many as 3,000 KDP Peshmerga were killed in this fight, which was mostly concentrated in 
this region in uh, Zako, which is called Haftanin, which uh, these days the Turkish operation operat military operations are mostly uh, focusing in these areas to kind of in the PKK presence. But we should remember the very first uh, Turkish operation against uh, PKK in this region was in 1992, um, which KDP, you know, um, fought alongside the Turkish forces, but they were unable to uh, end the PKK presence. And uh, there has been a dozen Turkish military operations since then, but to no success. They haven't been able to end the Turkish presence in these areas. Right, and there's several Turkish bases, I think more than 10 right now, or bases and outposts, whatever you want to call it, uh, in Iraqi Kurdistan now. Uh, they do have bases and outposts. Obviously, there is a, a difference. Mm. Um, they do have over a dozen bases as actual bases. Uh, some of them are old bases. It goes back to 1997, which Turkey managed to uh, get them there after the Kurdish civil war. So Turks came as a peacekeeping mission. They are mostly concentrated in Duhok province, but uh, their bases have um, increased. Um, nowadays, at least they have a dozen bases, but some estimates say it's as many as uh, 40 bases. This is alongside dozens of uh, outposts, especially in the mountainous areas close to the border. In Zako, all the way to the uh, areas north of uh, Erbil province. So the difference, I think, this time, the difference of Turkish operation, military operation this time compared to, let's say, the 90s, is that they are not uh, having a temporary operation. They are here for a long run, I think. They are planning to stay for uh, maybe indefinitely. We don't even know. But they have started building outposts, they have started building roads, and they have uh, deployed uh, a large number of forces all the way from uh, the border with Syria to the border with uh, Iran, which means the entire border. I think the plan is, it's getting increasingly clear, is that they are trying to build some sort of a zone similar to the ones that they have built in Syria. Mm. So they want to uh, build this zone, and but we don't know if after building the zone they will stop or they will continue pushing deeper and deeper into the, um, let's say, uh, the areas of Kurdistan that has bigger population. Right, and, you know, KDP have kind of allowed this to happen because, you know, they are very close to... Turkey but at the same time there is this argument like what can they do if they say no they'll just be attacked some people say I mean what, what's your take on that KDP's relations with Turkey is complicated but it has gotten closer and closer through time especially nowadays as they have very close economic um, relations especially with the uh, with this whole oil pipeline going through Turkey so um, I think uh, at the beginning, it was much more difficult for KDP to say no. 
especially for building uh, the bases as part of a peacekeeping mission, which at the time was also uh, green-lighted by the U.S. So it, was, um, it wasn't easy to say no. But I think these days, it's not about saying yes or no. They are actively part of the Turkish, um, let's say, the Turkish um, operations or the Turkish effort to end PKK. They're actively part of it, and they are not only tolerating the Turkish presence, but they are working with them. So I don't think it's only about saying, oh, they have no other choice. Mm. I mean, if you have no choice, for example, to turn a blind eye on the Turkish basis, which I think it is difficult to say no to uh, a regional powerhouse like Turkey, but at least you can have your own autonomy when it comes to not fighting um, another Turkish, uh, another Kurdish group. It's something, I think, uh, when it comes to certain things, they can say no, but Turkey usually plays a long term when it comes to these games. They have made KDP so dependent on Turkey that they cannot say no. So it's not like... It's not like maybe they don't like to do that because it's it's not a nice image to fight another Kurdish group, but uh, it they have just run out of options. They are just too dependent on Turkey to say no. Well, and I don't think it's unfair to say as well that the KDP has some let's say, serious issues with corruption. I mean, look at that, like, absolutely gigantic mansion they just bought in Beverly Hills or wherever the fuck it was. You know, meanwhile, Peshmerga are not getting paid. I think money has a big part of this. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. Economic relations with Turkey, which I think that was the Turkish plan from the beginning to make Iraqi Kurds more and more reliant on them so mm. that they won't say no for, to whatever Turkey uh, imposes on them. So um, the thing with uh, KDP, they have been having very close economic ties to Turkey since uh, the 90s. So in the 90s, Saddam couldn't uh, formally export its oil because of the uh, sanctions. So what they were doing, they were unofficially um, sending oil to Turkey through uh, Barzani, through KDP. Uh, which was controlling all the border areas between Iraq and Turkey. So uh, since that time, they were benefiting a lot from the Iraqi oil by, you know, trading with Turkey. But I think this reliance has increased drastically after um, Iraqi Kurdistan decided to build uh, its own pipeline in 19, uh, in 2009. So things have changed a lot. I mean, of course, co corruption plays a big role, but again, um, it, it's all about uh, economy and money. And the thing is, nowadays, the, the, the problem for KDP is that, of course, they have become very reliant on Turkey and they cannot say no, but it's very unpopular to help Turkey to fight PKK. So this is another problem for them politically. They can't, it's not 90s anymore. They can't actively uh, fight alongside Turkey against PKK. 
I think this is why nowadays they have found this new um, formula where KDP is deploying forces to the areas where historically has been um, the areas where PKK is active at uh, across uh, throughout the northern uh, Iraqi Kurdistan. So what they are doing nowadays is they are deploying forces to some areas to cut uh, the supply line of um, PKK's movement and they are trying to squeeze PKK into small pockets but they are not actively actually fighting it. So the idea from my perspective is that KDP wouldn't actively fight PKK. They would only, their role would be to split PKK supply line and just make it easy for Turkey to, you know, turn on PKK in smaller pockets where it's much more difficult for PKK to move. So if PKK fought back, then KDP's argument would be that we haven't started this. It's PKK's mm -hmm. fault. They are fighting us. So I think that this is this seems to be the plan because if KDP just starts a fight, it's politically too costly for them. And nowadays, Iraqi Kurdistan is already going through a deep economic crisis and people are already very fed up with the situation. And the problem for KDP, I think, is also that KDP's popularity is somehow growing. I mean, it's still small, but it's a big deal because historically, PKK was not able to penetrate or gain any popularity in Iraqi Kurdistan. But this has changed a lot. Now they have presence in Duhok, which is a stronghold of uh, KDP. They have support in Erbil. They have support in Sulaymaniyya. They have support in Sinjar. Actually, for the first time, they even have a member in Iraqi parliament. So the situation is not uh, like the 90s. Things have become much more complicated for KDP. So this is why, uh, as I said, the plan may just be to indirectly cooperate with Turkey, but not uh, actively fight PKK unless PKK fights them and so that they can turn the argument against PKK. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point that you made there as well about the kind of small but growing rise in popularity of the PKK in Iraqi Kurdistan. I first started seeing it around 2015 when Iraqi Kurdish youth was saying, hey, we're going to go to Bakur, to North Kurdistan and or Southeast Turkey to join the resistance of the, the YDGH, you know, the, the PKK youth militants. And certainly there was, I think, at least 10 maybe um, Iraqi Kurds died fighting alongside them. And this wasn't like HBG, you know, PKK guerrillas. These were like kids who went over and fought. And then from Kirkuk, I saw a lot more youth kind of getting interested in the PKK because of all the fighting there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just something I found interesting. What I, what I do want to um, kind of touch on, though, is why you think this is happening now. Because I have been seeing an increase in videos of PKK releasing, you know, ATGM and various other rocket strikes 
on Turkish military that are building um, positions. I know you've been documenting them a lot as well. It seems that things are definitely hotting up right now. KDP have been moving armor to the border. Like, why is this happening now all of a sudden? I mean, not all of a sudden, but why is it increasing right now? Um, PKK has been attacking the Turkish uh, outposts, actually, uh, constantly uh, for at least since last year, especially mm. in this region called Haftanin, in, yeah. uh, it's, it's in, in uh, Dohok province. It's, um, it's nothing new, actually. They have been doing that since last year. And the reason it has increased, it's because Turkish presence has increased since, since last year. Uh, and the thing is, Haftanin is very important for a PKK because this is their um, supply line from Kandil to uh, Rojava. It's very important. This continuity has been important for the PKK since the 80s. From the very beginning, when they started this um, building their bases in Iraqi Kurdistan, their plan was to have a supply line to Syria because uh, historically PKK has had a close relationship with the, the Assad regime. Uh, in fact, uh, PKK's leader Ojalan was living in Damascus until uh, Syria regime was was forced by Turkey to to uh, expel them. So this uh, this the importance of geography of Haftanin is very important. And this is why they are resisting fiercely, uh, and I think the toughness of the region also makes it easier for um, a guerrilla group like PKK compared to an army like Turkey, because it's the region is just too tough. And especially uh, the winter in these areas is uh, longer than the other areas. It's getting very snowy in the winter for, uh, for five months, which is also uh, something good for... PKK, I think, because then they can hide and they can um, attack um, Turkey, Turkish army much more easily. So the attacks are not nothing new. I think it's just it has to do with uh, the growing presence of Turkey in these areas. Right. Um, but the KDP are moving, you know, more stuff to the border. I think it was Zana Ahmed pointed out the other day on Twitter. I find it quite interesting. He was saying that, like, some people are saying, oh, this is just standard troops movement. But it wasn't. It really wasn't. There was, like, a lot of heavy armor going there, buses full of Peshmerga. It does look as if, you know, maybe they're not going to back up the Turks up there, but they are certainly moving a lot more armor towards there in recent months. Uh, that's true. The PK, uh, KDP is moving um, its Peshmerga to areas that has historically, as I said, been um, areas of PKK zone or areas where PKK has been operating freely. Um, as I said, I think the reason is they want to somehow cut um, PKK supply line. This is the idea. Because if you look at where they are deploying their forces, makes it uh, clearer. For example, they are deploying their forces to, let's say, 
these areas just north of Kandil to cut the connection between Kandil and Zap. Zap region is in central, northern central Iraqi Kurdistan. So you have Kandil, Zap, and Haftanian. These are the important uh, PKK regions. Kandil is obviously the SQ of um, PKK, but I think Zap and Haftanian are more important for PKK than Kandil. Kandil is more symbolic. The, I think what's important about Zab region, it's the central command of PKK, which is in cent northern central Iraqi Kurdistan. So it's really important. And then you have Haftani. So what KDP has been doing is they have deployed their forces to north, northern areas of Choman, uh, uh, which is a town in uh, North Erbil province, and it's in North Kandil. And then they have also deployed forces in Ahmedi, which is close to Zap, and then they have deployed forces further west in, in North Zaho, closer to Haftani. So the idea of, PK, of KDP, in my opinion, it's becoming clearer that basically they want to uh, cut the supply line of uh, PKK or at least make it difficult. Right. Um, what's the what's the reaction from people on the ground there? I've seen various different reactions and I'm friends with people in Iraqi Kurdistan who are pro-PKK, anti-PKK or just trying to live. And everybody seems, from my point of view, seems to be more angry at the Turks for like, you know, launching regular airstrikes. But at the same time, I am seeing different positions where, you know, some people are saying, why are the PKK here? They should leave. And then others are saying, why is the KDP allowing the Turks to attack us like this? I mean, what is the general kind of consensus on the ground in those areas, would you say, to, to these recent kind of aggressions? I think, uh, as you said, the reaction of the people is mixed. I mean, the reaction of people uh, about PKK is mixed in Turkish Kurdistan as well, in Syrian Kurdistan as well. It's, it's, it's a normal thing, I think. There are people who are just fed up with this whole war. They just want to have their farms. They just want to have their normal life. And then obviously there are others who are, let's say, given that they're from the area, maybe they have family across the border. They know how it feels to be split. They are much more, uh, let's say, uh, in support of PKK and it's, let's say, a struggle in Turkey. So they are, uh, let's say, in support of PKK and they are against this whole Turkish uh, attacks on them. But what makes it more, I think, what makes it more complicated for Turkey is that uh, in the last few years they have killed civilians which has turned a lot of people against them. Mm. And I think, although there are a lot of people who are against PKK, but we have to consider one important aspect of PKK's presence in these areas. Uh, myself, from my mother's uh, part, I'm from uh, Choman, which is in a village in Choman, which is controlled by PKK. So, um, from my mother's side, I know how PKK has been in this area, what has been their relation with the people. So it, it's, it, it, for some people, it's an emotional thing because since the 90s, they have known PKK fighters there. 
PKK has visited them. They have become friends. So it's not just about, oh, it's PKK fighting against Turkey. It's, for many people, it's more than that, actually. Mm. Um, PKK, uh, many of their fighters uh, used to be, I think nowadays it's much more difficult for them to do that, but they used to be very friendly with the locals. They befriended them. They were going to their houses in the Fridays to eat with them. So it's, it's, um, we have to consider these small dynamics of the conflict as well it's it's for many people it's also about personal relationships right so they they didn't like oppress them in their areas or anything they just kind of become a part of that community in in many areas it has become like this but again as i said it's also about uh many people just want to have their farms so they are like okay maybe the problem is speaking this is why there are all these you know bombardments so if they leave things would become better so you have um as you said, a mixed reaction. And I think we don't have any, um, let's say, any close or any detailed studies to see what's the, let's say, how big is the, the let's say, the people who support PKK in these area or areas or who are, who are against it. But I think it's, it's, it's more about who supports KDP in these areas, who is not. Usually if you don't, Support KDP, that means you support PKK. Even if you are, let's say, a member of PUK, uh, Goran Movement, or other parties, usually you tend to be much more friendly towards PKK and much more uh, putting the blame on KDP. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've noticed that a lot. Um, what do you think would happen if there was a war, if this really did go full scale? And Turks just went all out attacking the Turkish military, I should say, went all out attacking Kandil and the areas that the PKK has under control in Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, what do you think would actually happen? I've seen some people say they would never win a war against the PKK in that region because of the mountains and what have you. I mean, a lot has changed. There's drones, there's all of this. What do you think yeah. hypothetically might happen? Turkey is certainly much more powerful than it used to be. This is yeah. there's no doubt about that. But I think uh, the thing is, this conflict with PKK is not like the conflict in um, Libya or in uh, Karabakh. It's a different thing because it's when it comes to the conflict with PKK, it's not only about controlling the land. It's more than that. This is the mm-hmm. thing. I think PKK nowadays has become too diffused. They are too decentralized to, let's say, attack Kandil and for them to be finished. It's not like that. PKK is more diffused. They have much more influence across uh, the Kurds in the Middle East. Uh, And the different pro-PKK militias across the Middle East, in Syria and Iraq and Iran, they don't necessarily uh, operate in strict um, coordination with PKK. There's a lot of autonomy for many of these groups. So even if you attack Kandil on these areas, it's unlikely for PKK to end. It, this this thing about PKK is more, it's it's really more about, uh, you know, having dialogue with them and, and uh, fixing or solving the problem peacefully. Unless there's a peace pro- process in Turkey, it's really, really difficult for PKK to go away. They may get weaker, there is no doubt, given Turkish uh, military superiority, but for them to 
for Turkey to think they can militarily in PKK, it's really, it's really, I, I don't think that that can happen. Also, we should consider, given that PKK, for them, their presence in Iraqi Kurdistan is about uh, life or death, there is no way they would give it up. There is no way. I mean, we, we see KDP is trying to um, become tougher on them. Uh, Turkey is doing the same. Uh, even they are trying to engage Iraqi government to expel PKK, but that's not going to happen because, um, for example, if you are uh, cornered in a in a corner and you are told, and for you this corner, let's say, is about life or death, obviously you are going to to fight for death. And when you fight for death, it, it's 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 going to be much more bloody and much tougher for the other side to to win this is militarily but even if we don't even if turkey wins militarily and can finish pkk which is i don't see how that can happen it's still not the end of pkk pkk the thing is pkk is about the ideology as well it's not just the weapons that they have right it's a movement the land ideology uh, it's it's much more um you know widespread across the the kurds in the middle east it's how would you prevent that in Europe as well? Yeah, it's it's not just right. It's a whole movement. Like, you know, even if every fighter is dead, even the ideology is still around. You know what I mean? It's It's been a long time. It will, it will re-emerge. Although I don't think PKK will, even militarily, I don't think they will end. It's not that easy. The thing is, for, for example, nowadays, Turkey is pushing with uh, with more... Uh, military operations in Iraqi Kurdistan, but how would they do it nowadays where it's getting very snowy? So the thing is, every year, even if they continuously attack PKK, they have to stop for a few months because of the winter. So when that happens, PKK ca can regroup. And when they regroup, they will uh, retain some of their strength. So that can happen for for quite a long time. And we know the whole issue of PKK is also about um, regional powers, the geopolitics of the region, U.S. and all that. So things may change until Turkey, you know, tries to eliminate PKK militarily. So it's 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 really complicated. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point there though, as well, and I, I do also think that. The proximity of Rojava, should the war, if it happens, get really out of hand, I do think that will come into play. Do you know what I mean? I can't see that everyone, all the, the guerrillas in Rojava are just going to sit there and be like, oh, we'll just watch from here. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And the thing is, um, given U.S. has a lot of interest in Syria and Iraq with, with the Kurds, this whole PKK issue is very interconnected with the issue of Kurds in Syria and Iraq. You cannot distinguish between all these things. If, for example, nowadays there's a U.S.-sponsored dialogue between Syrian Kurds, which has, by the way, stopped, how can this dialogue succeed if there's a fight between um, KDP, which supports one side in Syria, and PKK, which supports the other side? It's not going to happen. So this whole thing is meaningless without a comprehensive uh, peace in the region. Without a peace process in Turkey, this whole issue about Syrian Kurds, about Iraqi Kurds, about 
Kurds uh, across the region is not going to get anywhere. So this whole U.S. you know attempt to unify Syria and Kurds is kind of for me it it doesn't really make sense because you cannot distinguish you cannot cut Syrian Kurds and somehow try to 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 show them as a separate group it's not it's it's really just the extension of this whole Kurdish issue um in Turkey and in Iraq yeah um in terms of PUK I mean where do they stand in all of this I know they've been historically more friendly with the PKK but if this war kicks off or whatever what's what's their role in it going to be if any uh PUK is not going to involve militarily I mean the only thing they do is that sometimes they try to please Turkey because Turkey has a lot of leverage over PUK as well for example a couple years ago Turkey stopped all the flights uh, from Sulaimaniyah which is controlled by um, PUK from the Sulaimaniyah airport to fly over the uh, Turkish sky which means they have blocked access from Sulaimaniyah to Europe because obviously uh, all the flights to Europe goes through uh, Turkey so that was a major blow for PUK economically. So at the end, PUK bowed down and they started uh, clamping down on some pro-PKK uh, uh, groups in Sulaimaniyah. So they do these things, but then uh, they somehow, they just did it for a few months and then I think they, they started uh, turning a blind eye on these new uh, PKK activities in Sulaimaniyah. So the thing about PUK is that they tend to be much more supportive of PKK, but the thing is they also can do a lot about it. And we should also remember PUK is not as unified as uh, KDP. Mm. They, there are a lot of different factions within um KDP uh, within PUK who have uh, conflicting interests. For example, uh, the co-leader of PUK, Lahur Talabani, is ideologically closer to PKK. He really, I think, um, likes them, and he have close friendship with Muslim Abdi, the commander of uh, Syrian Kurds. Mm. Uh, so it's it's uh, for PUK. It's sometimes. Uh, difficult, you know, they have two difficult options whether they have, whether they should support PKK, which I think they do. And there are even talks nowadays, but I, I couldn't uh, verify whether it's true or not that PKK have um, opened two uh, training camps in the PUK controlled areas. Interesting. And then you saw. Uh, Turkish foreign minister uh, somehow attacking Suleimaniya. He didn't mention PUK. He said Suleimaniya, which he meant PUK, that mm. uh, they are harboring PKK, which he called terrorists, obviously. So, and we saw Lahur Salavani, the, the co-leader of PUK, responded that, uh, basically he responded that we 
are patriotics. This is why we support PKK, which was a very interesting thing to say, I think, because Turkey has a lot of leverage over PUK as well, uh, especially economically. And nowadays, unfortunately, KDP and PUK have become more like a company than an actual political party. So economy is really important for them, much more than having, let's say, a political vision. Um, and this reliance on, on Turkey makes it more difficult for PUK to uh, resist in the long term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what they say is going to be different to what they do, I guess. Um, something, uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you about this this whole situation the situation right now in Sinjar, in Shangal, where the KDP seems to have said, like, all the YBS, which is effectively, you know, a PKK auxiliary militia, um, they've said that they have to leave. There's been some small um, clashes or protests about it. Is that all part of, like, this thing of KDP putting pressure on the PKK, do you think? Yes, I mean, there has been talks about this agreement for at least a couple of years, so it's not anything new. Um, I read a report on pro-KDP Rudal a couple of years ago where it, it said U.S. has suggested for Turkey, KRG, and Baghdad to cooperate and reach an agreement over Sinjar. I think this new agreement is somehow... Um, the product of all these negotiations. Mm. Um, the agreement is mostly aimed at PKK. I mean, they talk about uh, Shia militias as well, but I don't think they really are serious about the Shia militias. It's more about PKK. But the problem is these PKK proxies in these areas, Yabashe, they are locals of the area. So if you expel them, where would they go? They are from Sinjar. So this is the thing. It's right, but they, they do have PKK, you know, commanders from elsewhere, which, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, they're the ones that went there and helped them. Uh, the PKK has tried to be much more careful about mm. uh, their actual presence in Sinjar. I mean, they do... The thing with PKK is usually whatever militia they, they, they form, what they do is they get trained in Kandil. And then they are sent by training. It's not only military tr training, by the way, it's also ideological training. Yeah. So I think nowadays there are very few actual PKK members uh, in Sinjar. It's mostly Yabashe. But the thing with Yabashe is that they are an extension of PKK. This is how things are. This is um, a fact, although yeah. they try to distance themselves, but it's very, really just PKK. And, but they are locals of the area. And the thing about Yebeshe is that they were actually, until recently, I'm not sure if uh, it's ongoing or not, but they were getting paid by Baghdad. So they were officially recognized as a, uh, an Iraqi force, a formal Iraqi force in this area. So they will literally get paid by Iraq. So, um, there is this agreement, obviously, but I don't see how it will uh, get implemented. I mean, today, Yabashe started withdrawing from Sinjar, the city, not the region, only the city. 
But uh, I don't think this is um, anything significant because Yebesh's presence is actually mostly outside the city. They are mostly closer to the Syrian border. Uh, Sinjar as a region is bordering Syria, but Sinjar as a city is further inside Iraq. They are, they are still controlling Khanasur, which is a town part of Sinjar region. So I think the, the, real, the real question is whether Iraq would be able to uh, push them out in these areas closer to Syria, which is, I think, very important for PKK and for Yabasha and for Yepeg as well, because of the link between Sinjar and um, um, Rojava. Right, there's there's literally a you can cross over. Well, you used to be able to cross over there. There's it's very yeah. close, right? Yeah. So this is uh, this is uh, the question whether they would be able to do that. Whether uh, Yabasha would just give up and leave, which I don't I don't see how that will happen, uh, given that the, the the people are locals. But we should remember when it comes to these things, PKK if they're under pressure, they can be very creative. They can be very flexible. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, in a few days they dissolve this whole Yabasha and in, in, um, in a year they, a new militia pop up. They can do these things. They are very creative when it comes to these things. But as actual effective, um, let's say, expelling these militias or this militia, it's really important. Not practical, I think, because they're just locals of the area. It's, it's it's not that easy to just expel them. Yeah, I think there was a thing this morning. I think there's they there's a new agreement now where they've said like, I think like the YBS Asayish are going to be allowed to stay or something. But weren't the the Iraqi military were pressuring them as well, right? It was like KDP and the Iraqi military saying that like they have to leave this area. Um, so this, according to this, to this agreement, it should yeah. be Iraqi government forces who um, are in the area. No other militia or even Shia militia should not be there. This is the agreement. Iraqi, official Iraqi army, uh, plus 2,000 uh, 2, uh, local Asaish, local security forces, um, which they're supposed to be recruited from the uh, Yazidis in the camps. Um, but the thing is, this number would be dwarfed by the huge presence of Iraqi federal police, which is, uh, I think, 8,000. So it's clear from the agreement that they are aiming at PKK. But the thing is, given Yebesh's ties to the Iraqi government, and since they were paid by Iraq and they had very close relationships with Shia militias, um, Iraqi uh, forces, I think, tend to be more flexible with the Yebesha than KDP. For KDP, expelling PKK or Yebesha is the most important thing, I think, even more important than them returning to the area. But for Iraq, it's not like that. They may say, they may agree on paper, but you know, it's Iraq. Agreements don't necessarily uh, <laughs> get enforced. Yeah. So it's, it's, they may find a way, and, and I think they will try to find a way. Today's uh, move by Yebeshe 
of pulling out of Sinjar, the city that easily signifies that they may have some sort of understanding with the Iraqi forces. Right. It's a weird situation, man. It just, it all kind of, I think when you connect the dots, I agree with you, it's clear what's going on, right? It's, it's, uh, it's um, exactly. And the thing is, this whole thing is interconnected. Mm. Yazidis in Sinjar, Syrian Kurds, what's going on between KDPP UK, the peace process, it's really all part of a bigger picture. As you said, if you connect the dots, it becomes clear what's going on. Yeah, well, um, Abdullah, is there anything else you want to say? This has been absolutely great, but if there's anything else you want to add uh, before we finish this? Uh, my last thing is that, as I said earlier, this conflict is not going to end unless there's a peace process in Turkey. Really, the, this whole thing, the mother of all these issues is, is uh, this uh, issue of Kurds in Turkey. Unless yeah. it's getting solved, it's not, this thing will continue for years to come. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's a root problem here. <laughs> it's very clear where it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, Abdullah, where can people follow your work and get hold of you? So right, right now I'm on Twitter. It's uh, basically at Abdullah Hawes. And you can follow me. And uh, on my Twitter, actually, I'm mostly focusing on regional Kurdish issues. What we just discussed here, I'm mostly tweeting about these things on my Twitter. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job of that as well, man. Thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, bro. That was the excellent Abdullah Hawez there speaking about the possibilities of a war between the KDP and the PKK in Kurdistan. Now, if you missed his Twitter there, it is at Abdullah Hawez. I will spell that for you. It is A-B-D-U-L-L-A-H. And then Hawez is spelt H-A-W-E-Z or Z if you're an American. Um, thank you for listening to Popular Front. If you like what we're doing and you want to hear more, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popularfront. You can get bonus episodes, access to the community discord, narrated articles. There's a whole series about learning to be a journalist on there. There's all sorts. Patreon.com slash popularfront. If you don't like Patreon, you can support us another way. Go to popularfront.co slash support. Support us with Bitcoin. Support us with one-off donations. Inquire about sponsorship if you're not a scumbag. All of that. Um, yeah, popularfront.co slash support. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, this episode was sponsored by Oracle Coffee Shop in Portland, Oregon, USA. They're an independent coffee shop selling only fair trade products. The Popular Front way. See them at 3875 Southwest Bond Avenue, 97239. Very, very good guys and girls. Go and check them out, uh, Oracle Coffee Shop. This episode is also sponsored by Grind Core House, a pair of independent coffee shops in Philadelphia, USA, one in South and one in West. Check them out on social media at Grind Core House. You'll see there um, where they are, where the addresses are. Definitely check them out. The episode is also sponsored by Propagandopolis an outlet selling and informing people about historical conflict propaganda. Get prints at propagandopolis.com and use the code popularfront10 for 10% off. That is P-R-O-P-A-G-A-D-O-P-O-L-I-S. Imagine Greek 
Propagandopolis. Yeah, there you go. Um, the music in this episode, the intro was by Home, and the outro was by Sam Black. You can hear more of his music at samblackpf.com. Sam is one of the original members, to be honest, of Popular Front when I started it. It was just me and him, me with this idea, him with the music. He's been here from the start. He's a very good lad. Check his music out, share it with people. samblackpf.com. Follow us on social medias, Instagram, uh, it's at popular.front, um, Twitter at popularfrontco, uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash popularfront. Go and check out our brand new documentary about 3D printed guns. It's had over 300,000 views in less than a week. Everybody loves it. Well, not everybody, <laughs> a lot of people hate it, um, but it certainly caused a lot of debate. Um, all different feelings have been conjured up from this, which, you know, I think that's what journalism should do. Um, yeah, youtube.com slash popularfront. If you're a journalist and you want to write about it, go to popularfront.co slash 3D. Uh, if you want to follow me on any social medias, it's normally just at Jake underscore Hanrahan, H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. Uh, thank you to the following high-tier Patreons. Without you, this definitely would not be possible. They are Tina, Damien Boyd, Larson8669, Badnads, Bjorn Kirsten, Michael O'Connor, ha- uh, ha- sorry if I pronounce this wrong, bro, uh, Hapet Yagizayan, uh, an Armenian name, I think that's how you say it, Zach Packard, Todd Cravens, Will Anderson, Alexander, Nicholas Butter, Ron Swanson, JD, Jav, Ian Froes, James Cully, Michael Akakan, Ethan, Fitz Madrid, Joe Watt, Alex Northrop, Ed Coulthard, Johnny LaFleur, Clayton Taylor, Hugo Newski, Mike Barone, Scott Upton, Liam Williams, Chris Cusimano, Degenerate Zero Alpha the Robot. Uh, it doesn't say robot, I just always think of a robot when it says that. Jojo uh, Arani, DR, Trey Nance, Charlie, Amy R, Rubicon, Mink, Frank Austin, Amelia Me, Nawaiz. Tell me if I've said that wrong, um, apologies if I have. Christina Rivetti, Freya Northman, Ali Hunter, Moody Al-Rashid, Maxwell Burke, uh, Bill Wilson, Andrew Hurley, uh, Vida Provost, I've lost my place, as you can probably tell. Okay, we go. Brian McLaughlin, Tom Lochrin, Ari from the Discord, Young Wasabi, Sarushe Hawazi, Tony Bin, Adam Bergsnyder, Sebastian from the Discord, back in the Discord, good to see you there, mate. Steven Davila, Anthony Kubarik, Patrick Bronte, Dan Donham, Fletcher Tate, Chad Walker, Diana Govanek, Q-Ball, Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did and Defiance, Emily Molly, Axel Iverson, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock, Moritz Zumwal, K. Hardy Roberts, and Joe Ann Stocker. Thank you all very much for the support. It is greatly appreciated. Again, without you lot, this would not be possible. So thank you so much. Um, 
yeah popularfront.co check us out rest in peace to my friend Archie I think I'm just gonna dedicate this whole fucking podcast to him because he liked it he wore his popular front jacket everywhere love you bro rest in peace mate